Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Twilight After Show podcast. I'm Neil Malasson. With me, Avery Davidson, Carl Wiggers, Ali Shipley, and Brianne Hendrickson. And uh, we have some new, new people. Allie, it's her first podcast with us. Right. Allie was an intern with us before, and she was hired on full-time just a month ago, right, Allie? Yeah, it was a month ago, and I'm excited to be here. And she is our social media manager now for uh, the department, and uh, we're excited to have her on. And um, She's also royalty. I mean, you left out the most important thing. I mean, before you're going to bring that up. Royalty from a family of royalty. Can you insert, Carl, can you insert, like, the applauding right there, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. A little clap. We'll do a clap track. Okay. We'll put it in post. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Because, you know, Allie, I noticed you stumbled on the Shipley because you were so used to calling her Allie Doeys. And, you know, that's whenever she reigned as Farm Bureau Queen. Mm-hmm. We're going to let this go one day. Jeez. One day. So over no. being called mm-hmm. the Queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, one day we'll and, let it and go. Her mother was a Farm Bureau. So that's, you know. Yeah. Her mother was a Farm Bureau Queen that's as well. correct. So, you know, it runs in the family. But she's not here just because she's the Queen. She's here because she's... Damn good Excellent. at her job. At what she's doing, yes. Say, that, that's, we can say that. Overqualified. As I, every, everybody I tell about Allie, like she's overqualified. Some very job. high standards are setting here. I'm just saying. I mean, well, I, I said before she came on board, she's more qualified for the job that I have than I am. So, you know, I, I figure if I, if I can't be... You know, the, the guy, I got to get people around me who are better. She does have a rider in her contract that she gets to wear the tiara, though. And it's time. weird. I'm kind of, right. I don't know. It's been four weeks of her wearing the tiara yeah. around. I'm kind of like, mm. it's the waving that I can't get over. <laughs> it's the referring to herself in third person. She's all the time. She's plural. just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> Neil, I, I know you're really sad to have her here because now you're no longer the only brainiac with a master's degree. Yeah. Yeah. How's it, that it feel? Ruined, ruined it. Well, you know, we're taking over. We're just, <laughs> and you see, Carl. I thought you were about to say, Neil, you're not the only queen. Oh, well, um, that's that's what I was waiting for. <laughs> I'm doing There's the wave. wave. There's the wave. It's been a minute since we've done a podcast. It has been. Uh, so I, I, Avery and I, we've we've we're doing a presentation a couple of weeks ago with the secretaries conference, and we were like, this is where we'll do podcasts whenever we can actually get everyone in the room together. This is about as close as we've gotten. Mm-hmm. I mean, when this, we probably had all five of us here together. Kristen's still a at few home times. with Teddy. Yeah, we've only gotten been all five together very few times over yeah. the last few weeks. Now, I'll explain a little bit of where I've been, but, you know, it's... Uh, Just a crazy time in the in the Farm Bureau in general, but especially in, in our department of yeah. the Farm Bureau. But uh, it's really nice to do a podcast. It's a little... Uh, not, even today, we filmed the show in the studio. It's not a completed studio, which... If you've talked to me about the studio, you've heard me complain and uh, just my impatience is getting real because I'm just ready for the 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 hotness to all be there. Yeah. But and we, we did. want the hotness to show you because, I mean, it's going to be excellent, but it's got to be finished before yeah. it can be excellent. But we filmed the show in there today and I was like, oh, it's kind of nice to be semi like normal. And the podcast, I feel like, is part of that, too. It is. And uh, so we'll get right into it with uh, this week's show. We've done a lot. We do have a lot. For this the show coming up convenient here. that you have the first story in the show Neil. Highly you can just convenient. jump right into it i can we, we've talked about it last on the last episode of the show mm-hmm. about the mississippi river that's right you went and kind of did a follow-up a little more in-depth story on that i did i talked with both jay grimes and michael deliberto at, at the lsu ag center uh, jay grimes is a climatologist and meteorologist no, well known in the baton rouge area um there's the the interesting bit as I was going to interview Jay was he told me about a ship 
that had been uncovered on the Mississippi River. And I went down there. It's an old ferry from the 1840s. And uh, it has been uncovered because the river is so low right now that it's just receded well from the banks. I don't remember ever seeing it this low. Uh, I mean, it's just it is it is uh, many of the ships, many of the barges can't navigate the river real well. It's causing a lot of havoc in general, especially further up river. And even though the river is higher here, that makes no difference if the barges can't get down. They got to get to Baton Rouge. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so they're having to load them less. Uh, Deliberto in my story, you'll hear him talk about that. There's a ratio for like. Every foot the Mississippi River drops is another like 5,000 bushels of um, grain that they can't put on them. And so on each barge. That's right. And in some portions of the river, it's one way traffic. So that, you know, also impacts how much they're able to do every single day. Um, And I saw somebody uh, online shrug their shoulders and say, well, big deal. Just put it on trucks, you know, get it, get it down (laughs) there. Well, one barge is equivalent to 960 trucks. So I don't know about you guys, but I don't want an additional thousand trucks per barge on the road with me. I'd I'd rather, you know, no yeah. offense to truckers, but that's just not workable. Well, also think about how many barges you see being pushed by a single. I was about tub. to say that's not right. that's just one barge. Probably what six or nine, yeah, twelve, something like that. That's how they group them, like in threes, right? Right. Yes. So that's a significant amount. They're, they've actually limited them. They can some of those tugs. They normally push thirty during a busy season. Oh my gosh! Yes. So they've limited them down to like twenty four and twenty. You know, eighteen uh, bar uh, barges Is that for because the width? of the the width as well as the the depth. You know, they're concerned about um, them getting stranded. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, you got to think of the draft on each of these. Yeah, and you know. We talk about the the river being at, you know, four and a half feet. Right. You know, that's four and a half feet above sea level. But yes, you're still impacting the the draft depth. Right. And they constantly ships. struggle on the river, especially further up from New Orleans to dredge it out and get it down low. It is deep in New Orleans. It's like 200 feet. Mm-hmm. But uh, around Mississippi, it's like 50. Around Baton Rouge, rather, it's 50. And, it you know, it stays about that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, up a good ways along the river. Um, well, with, and they have to dredge it to make that happen. I actually had a reporter last week reach out to me, uh, a national reporter reach out to our office, not just to me, but looking for farmers that are affected by this this story of the Mississippi River. And I started reaching out to some farmers, trying to see if I could find someone for her to speak with. And I was asking, I was like, so what's, what is the story like in Northeast Louisiana? And they're like, well, when the river goes down, our slip that where our port, where all of our grain goes out, dries up. Like there's only so much they can dredge that thing down. And I was like, oh, that, that's terrible. But also most of your crops up there right now, it's October, are are harvested. They're already out of the field. They're already down the river, hopefully. But then he's like, yeah, but all that, all of our inputs mm-hmm. have to come in that same port. And I was like, oh, that's a problem. Right. Fertilizer, fuel even. Wheat seed. We're going to be coming up on seed. wheat planting here in just about a month. So one farmer I spoke with told me about a, about a particular product he tries to put out every winter, every fall. Um, and he paid an astronomical amount last year of $800 a ton for it this year because he couldn't get it in through the port, had to truck it, just like your story you're talking about. Truck it from Little Rock to his farm in uh, West Carroll, East Carroll. 
and it cost him $940 per ton for this product. Wow. That's the difference in trucking and just inflation in general. But like that's the $800 last year was just astronomical and he just couldn't believe he was paying that. And now here we are one year later paying $140 more per ton for that same product because he can't get it into his local port. Anyways, I don't know how much that's all correlated, but it's definitely an issue that it's not just getting crops out of the field and down river. Mm-hmm. It's getting next year's supply in. I thought that was interesting. But And I've been out the port of Lake Providence where when the water's been low, I mean, there's nothing going in and out of there. And that's that doesn't just affect agriculture. That affects all of the industries that depend on that port. Uh, we don't realize how much we depend on that river and you know louisiana would not be in the position it is in in terms of where we are in the country in terms of economic development in terms of uh exports if it were not for the mississippi river right new orleans what what did what did jay grimes say about you know the level being as low as it is um it's not quite historic where we are in louisiana but it is further up river i think the low in um Baton Rouge, it got down to a foot at one point above sea level. Um, and but at it's right now at five, it's projected to get down to four and a half and kind of flatten out at least through the second week of November. And so um, but further upriver it is. And like we you know mentioned that, you know, if they can't get the barges down here, then it doesn't matter how high it is. Mm-hmm. There. I mean, the other thing he reminds people is that. Um, rain down here has no effect on the Mississippi River level, zero, because mm-hmm. of, it's so fast, it's so flowing so hard. You have to get rain in, you know, the rest of the country to make its way downhill. We don't drain into the Mississippi anyway because of the right. levee system. Right. In fact, we give water out of the Mississippi at the old river locks. Right. You. I mean, you could see how somebody maybe would think, though, oh, it hadn't rained here because it hasn't rained here right. for 60 days, really hardly rained in Louisiana. Um, so, I mean, someone could yesterday, make that, yesterday, we got a little bit, but got a little yeah. shower yesterday, but you could make the, you could make the correlation be like, Oh, it, it hasn't rained here. That's why the Mississippi is so low, but it's right. not at all. doesn't affect anything. So no, interesting. No, and we are dry. We are in a drought. That's for sure. Yeah. And how much rain are we talking? Do they have to get up North to even bring it back up to what needs to be like, how long of a recovery process is this? We're probably looking through the winter. I mean, yeah. it's going to take snowpack and snowpack melting to get us back to where it should be. I That's mean, scary. I would say May. So would, a couple inch rain, May? a couple inches of rain in the Midwest doesn't really move the needle much. It it can. I mean, and like if a big system moved across the entire Midwest, then because it has Mississippi River has so many tributaries up there, it would then drain down. So you could you I mean, a single storm system could make a significant difference. Mm hmm. It's just unlikely. Where, where, so it's at five feet now, and mm-hmm. I'm, this is just my ignorance. I'm good at that. Um, where does it need to be? Like, where's kind of a good sweet spot for shipping? Because I know, I feel like all the stories we've done since I've been at Farm Bureau is because the Mississippi's too high mm-hmm. and it's a problem right. and it's concerns elsewhere. So where does it need to be? Where's the sweet spot? Well, it varies greatly across the river. In Baton Rouge, which is just... Well, that's what that we're talking. We've been using right. five feet at Baton Rouge. Five feet at Baton Rouge. Flood stage is 30. Mm-hmm. Um, so somewhere in that 18 to 25 is okay. probably ideal for most of the shippers. That would open up traffic both ways and Definitely. all that kind of stuff up river. Right. Um, 
But I mean, it's diff like flood stage and it, it's hard to gauge because flood stage in New Orleans is 19 feet. So, you know, that jump, that elevation in Vicksburg, I'd imagine it's very different. Mm-hmm. It's 200 yeah. or something because mm-hmm. the cliffs there or whatever. But, um, uh, you know, on the other side of the river, even just from Vicksburg, since it's Louisiana, it's flatter, you'd have a different different scale. Mm-hmm. It's kind of mind boggling. We've, we've talked about it over the last couple of weeks here in the office and it's just like, man. Yeah. You mentioned in the fact that it's 200 feet deep in New Orleans just blows my mind and it scares the crap out of me. <laughs> and, right. and you flew the drone over. Yeah, I've flown around it, just around some... here. But actually flying in for my vacation this past weekend, I was like, you could see sandbars all up from Angola all the way down. Yeah. I was like, man, I need to go out during the day and <laughs> take a little day trip with a little. If only I knew a private pilot. Uh, they could just take me around. Any any takers out there just holler at me. <laughs> Uh, there was um, a shot from somebody in Missouri that looks like a desert. They yeah. just took it from an angle and it's just. Well, it's wild that you say that. Dad actually sent me a video. He was in waterproof area and just pulled over and saw a barge sitting idle, I think. But there was a dust storm behind it on a sandbar. Oh, wow. On the river. Allie, Pretty wild. You wouldn't happen to know a pilot that uh, Carl could talk to, would you? Um, I don't. No, just kidding. Uh-huh. Um, Tyler's not current, so sorry about that one. Yeah. <laughs> I would love to go fly. I love to fly. Anyways, but I saw right. it from the air and I was like, golly, all these sandbars you would probably never see, mm-hmm. you know, three months ago. Well, let's talk about something a little happier. Uh, let's move on to the fast food farm because, Bree, I understand you went out there uh, this past week. I did. I did. Bunch of little kids, over 500 kids out there. They have 30 new um, stations. Wow. And uh, it was a little crazy. What is the fast food farm? So they pretty much just teach kids about agriculture. You know, um, there is a huge decrease of agriculture in classrooms and we are doing farm viewers doing great and doing the ag in the classroom things. And they've actually um, are working with ag in the classroom and that's how they have 30 new stations. Um, and so they you go out on a field trip and you learn what broccoli is and the nutrients and how it gets its nutrients and what we get from it mm-hmm. and all the way to holding little chicks and goats and cows. So, you hated that, right? Oh, absolutely. Never again, Avery. Never, <laughs> oh, never again. again. No, never again. <laughs> no, I mean, Diddy Email has really done a great job in putting together the fast food farm down there in St. James Parish and uh, it's called the fast food farm because they try to use the idea of fast food to get kids into learning about agriculture. So this is what goes into a hot dog. This is what goes into a hamburger. And uh, I, I I brought my son Luke down there whenever he was little. In fact, uh, that's where the uh, the infamous line of "Daddy, the camera is pulling down my pants" made air on Twyla. <laughs> But uh, it's it's neat seeing this through the eyes of the, the the children around there. What was it like for you having to chase them around and and get video? It was it was fun. It kind of brings back my um, daycare daycare days of chasing <laughs> children. Yeah, chasing children Nightmares. and you know the kids screaming and yelling, touching a goat for the first time, and that's a different texture, and seeing them poop and freaking out about that and. <laughs> You know, the teacher's telling them, hey, like, you can't touch that. <laughs> like, like, let's go. We don't can't touch eat that. It. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Like, don't step in it. We don't want that on our shoes. Mom and dad would not be happy. Um, so it was fun. It was fun. It was nice weather. It was a little chilly that morning, but I mm. think they were excited about that rather than rain and stuff like that. So, of course, we didn't have any rain in Louisiana. No, no. So what's the happy story? What's the uh, what's What's the like most interesting of the, you said there are 30 exhibits, 31 exhibits. Mm-hmm. Are there 30 or 30? 30, 30. 30. I don't know where I got 31. 30 exhibits. What's the most interesting one or what, which one do you think the kids like most like I think the ones to? that involved food. So I noticed like a lot this time um, they have, you know, you learn about where carrots come from and the nutrients they have. So they had carrots for them to munch on and m&ms for them to so munch on where they and like taste yes and, like, and understand and like at one M&Ms? point m&ms um i don't Is that sugar? one yeah sugar <laughs> sorry teachers <laughs> i'm sure but at one point they did talking about worms and the layers of dirt and mm-hmm. you know how each layer holds different insects and um organisms and things like that so they had the pudding you know the mud pudding or whatever you know what i'm talking about there you go the worms and dirt they had that so i think it helped the kids understand like connect the dots Mm -hmm. so like hey like yeah yeah definitely so hands-on bit always makes a difference yes and them learning and uh the the ag day there at the saint james they always do a great job with it they really do Speaking of field days, you went out to one in Greensburg, is that right? Yes, uh, over just outside of Greensburg in St. Helena Parish. guy by the name of Warner Hall, who I'd done a story with back in 2016. Uh, for 33 years, he worked as an extension agent with the Southern University Ag Center. And uh, he also had raised cattle for a while and then uh, decided to go into uh, a garden and I'm doing air quotes there because it's four acres of garden. So at that part, at that point, it becomes a farm, you know, he's feeding more than just himself. Um, and so he was working with the Southern university and the LSU ag centers to put on a green leafy field day, because this is the time when you would put all your cold weather crops into the ground in Louisiana. And, uh, he had a, Beautiful stand of collard greens, had just finished picking all of his okra. Um, And he's really, that extension agent side of him has never gone away. It's not disappeared at all because he loves having people out there and showing them what he does, how he does it, why he does it. And so it was a really big educational opportunity for all the folks who were there. Kiki Fontenot from the LSU Ag Center spoke to them about uh, growing vegetables. Um, You had Kathy Broussard from National Agricultural Statistics Service, uh, Patrick Babineau from Farm Service Agency, telling them what, telling folks who were attended, you know, what kind of funding sources there are. Because for small farmers or even people who are going, 4-H kids or FFA kids who are going to, uh, participate in livestock shows, there are loans available for all of that. And I was mm-hmm. like, this is a great opportunity, especially whenever you're you're with a bunch of minority growers to let them know about these mm-hmm. opportunities that are there. Um, and that was that was really an, I think what folks who went were able to take back with them and get a, you know, a real good education on. My question is did you have snacks like at Breeze Field Day? 
Um, my snacks were better than hers. They don't give those out to adults. Oh, those just for kids. Oh, what were your snacks? You got cheated. So you, you didn't get robbed. any snacks? I didn't get any snacks. What were your snacks? Oh, I, they, oh, Mr. Hall and his family served me lunch. Oh, so wow. I'll go into that in a moment. I That's got to brag. The best part. That's the best part about going Like I said, Avery, never again. <laughs> never again. <laughs> I got to brag on. That's uh, why Avery took the store. Oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Way to a man's heart is through the stomach. Um, uh, Warner Hall was uh, recognized by Minority Landowner Magazine as one of the farm 2021 Farmers of the Year. So uh, he was really proud of that. And uh, he gave me a copy of the issue. It's sitting right here on my desk. That's very uh, cool. And, uh, you know, there were other two other um, Louisiana farmers listed, uh, Donna Isaacs and Monica uh, Melanson both listed as uh, recipients of this this award. But um, what we were served for lunch uh, was uh, ribs, Ooh. brisket, turkey necks, oh. mm. uh, barbecue beans, rolls. There were some cakes and other uh, sweets there. I, I chose not to partake because mm-hmm. I had my sweets beforehand. Mm-hmm. So Warner Hall grows hibiscus on his property and he made some homemade hibiscus tea mm. that when I tell you son son mm-hmm. this was some of the son. sweetest best hibiscus tea I've had in my life I I poured myself an extra tall glass of it and uh, life was good life was good <laughs> I, sounds good I loved it it was just so tasty and Mr. Hall's always so gracious so um, hospitable uh, I, I can't say enough good things about the man. And he, again, he loves sharing that information with folks. And uh, apparently uh, it's hang things in your office day at the Louisiana Farm Bureau as we hear Megan grab wall. We're going to have to go talk to her about this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Knock mm-hmm. on that wall. Did, Knock back. Did you have snacks on your shoot, Carl? My shoot did not have snacks. Um, but my story actually, it was a, it was a, it was a journey. It was, I went north uh, up to Belcher. Louisiana, actually. Hold on, and pause. Where's that at? Belcher, up north of Shreveport. Okay. So, Still trying to know this state. Yeah, you know? you'll figure it out one day. <laughs> no, that's um, good. You know, it's, give yeah, some perspective. Probably, probably 30, 30 minutes north of, of Shreveport. and uh, Near Gillum? Near Gillum and Dixie and across the way from Oil City, but about as far north as Oil City is. So. If it makes you feel better, I lived in Shreveport for a year and I... And have no idea where it's at. So <laughs> makes me feel a little it's better. It's a big, big, big village of very few people. <laughs> um, but it's a lot of farmland up there. And uh, I love going up there for things like this. But it, this was actually one of those um, in, in, the, in the business, we call this a video poor shoot. It was not much happening, but it's so what Farm Bureau is all about. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was literally a half dozen farmers in a circle out a shop next to a cotton field talking to a congressman and talking about their issues, kind of painting the picture of the last, really the last two years, farming with, you know, coming through COVID, coming through supply chain, coming through markets, going up and down and coming, you know, how they've overcome all this stuff and how it's been so much work and so hard and all this. It was, it was kind of, I mean... I wonder if Congressman Johnson thought it was maybe a, a gripe fest, but I think they were just 
telling it like it is. And he mm-hmm. just, multiple times, he was just kind of hanging his head like, golly, how are y'all still doing this? And I think he asked that a couple of times. But uh, it was it was really a good visit, though. I think he was very enlightened, and he he was super appreciative of the farmers that came out and kind of spent the time just filling him in on what on what it looks like there on the farm. You know, they they were all there. They're the one. They're the literally the brutes on the ground doing this and raising the food and fiber that that we depend on here in the state. And uh, I think he was really appreciative to hear from them. You know how he can help them. You know with disaster funding or mm-hmm. Uh, with trade issues and things like that, that's that's important to our farmers, and he got to hear that firsthand. And that's what Farm Bureau does best: yeah. is connecting those farmers and ranchers directly with their congressmen, their uh, legislators, the people who represent them, and you know, staff. Yeah, we we can get the contacts all we want, but when they hear from an actual farmer who's being affected by these disasters, affected by the fact that these disaster programs don't work well for Louisiana farmers, especially because mm-hmm. they tend to happen at harvest. It's not like you suddenly stopped putting your fertilizer out there because you saw the drought was killing them. Nope. It's 18 inches of rain over three days. There you go. There goes your soybean crop. Mm-hmm. So um, this, I think, really shines a light on what Louisiana Farm Bureau does well and has the contacts to be able to do it. And I know. Neil, you've seen that year after year after year being uh, the the senior member of, of our department. <laughs> yeah, well. It's a nice way of saying you're old. <laughs> yes, but you have kids, so you're, you're older than I am. Oh. Uh, yeah, it's Just been. a little. It, it is. I mean, one of the most effective things that we do is that aspect of it. And, of course, I go back to our Farm Bureau history. When Farm Bureau had to cut back in the 40s, they cut it down to communications and lobbying. And because they knew that the governmental interaction was just so vital for farmers, it's one of the most uh, important functions the organization does week in, week out. It's especially important uh, um, this year because it's a farm bill year. Um, Prices are, are high and are likely to stay high given all the inflation and whatnot, but that is not a sign that farmers are doing well, Mm -hmm. um, especially those affected by disaster. Um, Because with high prices, the margins are very narrow. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's easy to explain like this. If you are just making a dollar and your inputs are 10 cents, you've made 90 cents. But if you could make $2, well, everybody thinks, well, that's great. But if your inputs are $1.80, you're making significantly less money despite mm-hmm. the gross being so much higher. Mm-hmm. So that's what farmers, I think, are faced with. What we really need, and I hope we really can are able to push for this, is a safety net for our farmers, not just for their profitability, but for the fact that, you know, um, this agriculture can always go offshore. We can always in- import stuff. Is that the future we want mm-hmm. as a country? And when you talk about the cost of inputs the problem with these prices is they don't tend to go down they don't market prices so the the amount they're paid for the commodities that will fluctuate greatly even over a couple of weeks you know uh it was just what a couple months ago we were looking at 13 dollar wheat and now we're down to what seven dollar and we're 840 840 with wheat right now so that's a significant drop uh, in, in price there, but yet 
I promise you fertilizer is not going to drop from no. $800 a ton anytime soon. Yeah, it went up. <laughs> that's the crazy thing. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that these farmers were talking to uh, the congressman about is that like, hey, we have no control over the weather. We have no control over the markets. And even trade, we don't have much say in that, which can, which drives markets. So it's mm-hmm. just kind of a, it turned into a, a very... A uh, vast, broad conversation about just big, big picture. Um, but I think it was it was good because Congressman Johnson was able to also add some context and deliver some some context back to the farmers from D.C. Also, some big yeah. picture stuff. So I think it was a really cool visit. Also, while he was there, he was uh, presented with the Friend of Farm Bureau Award, which is a big deal. Um, it's actually an American Farm Bureau uh, award, but each state gets to um, distribute it out to our congressmen, congresswomen. Um, and we also nominate. Yeah, we, we nominate. nominate. We kind of confirm that like that mm-hmm. the AFBF will look at like voting records and mm-hmm. policy issues that these representatives uh, and senators also uh, mm-hmm. will will advocate for and stand and vote with and such. But we nominate also. And, and it, was, it was cool, though, because I think it, it, it's a nice way to acknowledge them like saying not just asking them for stuff all the time and i mean let's be real these congressmen don't need more plaques and and pieces of paper on their wall but it's a it's a small something to say hey we we see your work we see Mm -hmm. your uh backing and standing with us and we appreciate it so i think it's cool i I know we talked about my experiencing this from farm bureau but my experience is seeing it from this side of things Allie, you grew up on a farm you saw it how important was it to your dad to your uncles that they were active politically, so to speak, you know, to and I mean, I don't necessarily mean voting. I mean, interacting with politicians and letting people know on the state and national level. Yeah, I think it's very important. And like Carl said, he said, you know, it's not a good shoot day and we don't get to show much there. But I think that kind of as we talked about earlier, as people as less of the population is farming, it's even more important that we're talking to our congressmen and that we do have farmers who are out there talking because less people understand it than ever before. And that's only getting worse as farmers become less of the population. That unified voice is even more important. And that's not always easy to do. Um, Like we're saying, the weather, we um, oftentimes don't realize how busy farmers are. We see harvest and we think, oh, that's their busy time of the year. But I was talking to my dad yesterday. I'm like, what were you doing? He's like, well, I was at the bank. Um, I had to go fill out paperwork here. I was on a tractor. Like they're busy all the time and it's not just harvesting crops. They're running businesses. And I think people forget that. Mm -hmm. And I think um, they don't, they're not big businesses. They're small businesses and they can't afford their own lobbyists or their own um, communications team. And I think that's just why what this organization does is so important for everybody. Yeah. And you actually saying that I wanted to say this a minute ago when Neil was talking about the, the $1 for a crop and then upping into $2. There are small businesses that deal with some real serious high dollar risk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's a small business maybe with a few employees and, you know, maybe sole proprietorship. Big but risk. the risks they're taking, like in the bank loans they're getting to to actually pay for all these inputs to hopefully at the end of the year have a crop is it, it's insane. It would hurt people's heads if they actually knew it some of these numbers. Mine. I'll never forget when I, we bought our house a couple months ago. I was like, I just can't believe I'm on the hook for this much money. And dad's like, that's Come cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, many I times a single piece of equipment is worth <laughs> a house and a car payment rolled into one. And mm-hmm. I think that's also something um, that I've heard from farmers a lot in my family in particular that 
sometimes the law is behind things. And a lot of these policies that farmers are working to change were intended when the family farm input costs were a lot lower. People, mm-hmm. the input to produce is a lot higher now. Your equipment is costing millions of dollars, but all of these policies are behind and not considering the input costs that are it now takes mm-hmm. to be successful at farming. And you brought up about people being so removed from the farm, three generations in some cases removed from the farm. The other side to that is we are now in an age where our information sources are almost siloed. Mm-hmm. You know, we we can single out where we get our news and our information and keep hearing from the same people. We end up in echo chambers. And that is something we strive to to get beyond with Twyla is we're trying to break out of the echo chamber and get into the the hearts and minds of consumers and and that way they understand all these issues facing farmers and ranchers and you know if you're listening to this podcast and you like what you're hearing please share it with somebody (laughs) who's not in agriculture okay share it with somebody who's outside the the echo chamber you can share it on instagram facebook (laughs) tiktok tiktok twitter anywhere but no seriously i mean that is an issue that we have to face as well (laughs) well i mean this is it uh paid ad (laughs) let me just Hey, dad. <laughs> the biggest thing is it's an, you know, you can silo your information and farming. I can understand people day to day. They don't aren't part of farming, but everybody eats. Everybody wears clothes. Everybody uses forest products day to day. So, you know, it, these issues affect you or they will affect you indirectly down the road. So it's it's really important to pay attention and to advocate for farmers. And I think we're seeing a lot more of that due to social media. And we kind of just said it, TikTok and stuff like that. The younger generation is turning towards that. They want to watch videos of it. So they're seeing this and COVID kind of helped with that. And I think we also saw that with farmers markets and stuff. You know, people wanted to learn where the food came from. They wanted to know who grew it, Mm -hmm. where it was grown. And now you're able to see it on video. And they almost had no choice but to learn during the pandemic yeah. because try yeah. finding beef, tried finding chicken during that time. You know, that's that was the time when local producers really had a chance to shine and came through. Yes. I mean, I know folks like Robert Duncan, folks like Marty Woldridge, they came through and began selling beef directly to consumers. Uh, no, they continued and ramped yes. up. Yes. They were already doing they it. Were yeah, already, you're right. Yes. You're right. Yes. They they wanted to be able to sell more. They, yeah, I know Robert couldn't get his beef processed quick enough. I mean, it was like yeah. it's such a backlog. And but, now it's tough finding a place to process mm-hmm. their beef in a timely fashion. Uh, fortunately, Coastal Plains Meat uh, Company and Eunice is coming on online, and they're working to get their USDA uh, certification so that they can ship across state lines. Uh, you know, those are all things that have to happen in order for us to have a more robust local food supply. That That is interesting, though. Think about like how just one, I mean, not that COVID was such a small thing, but that one event like that has mm-hmm. shifted the attention towards learning more about agriculture, finding that local supply. And I think that's I think that's a good that. trend. I think and it's I mean, positive for, you know, all, all consumers and farmers. And I think like, you know. Or the people in the ag industry saw people reach out to them. Normally, it's farmers trying to reach out to the public mm-hmm. and be like, hey, mm-hmm. this is a misconception where the public was coming to the farmer and being like, okay, 
teaches tell us hungry for knowledge. Yes. Ha ha ha. Dad joke. Hungry. Wow. Look. And hungry. <laughs> Look at that. Dad joke again. And needing toilet paper. That's Avery shop. <laughs> well, you know, he's now I'm a dad. He's now, is now so. a dad. So we better a long way to go to catch up with Avery. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Yeah, that is true though. So I think that definitely helped the ag industry and mm. we can see it. Yeah. Well, I think we've had a good discussion on it today, and I'm glad we're back doing this. Hopefully, we are going to uh, do our best to get out more shows and and uh, get that going forward, and and hopefully that will mean more podcasts yep, as well. Yep. Hold up, yeah. hold I'm, up. I'm, I'm gonna let you finish, okay? Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I got to I got to bring yeah, you. Yeah, I wouldn't be. I, I wouldn't if I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> well, Adidas got rid of him, so hey, um, no, we Allie contributed to the show too. Mm. The Halloween costumes. Hello. She Neil hasn't seen them yet. Boost. Yeah. So, Allie, what's been your favorite costume that you She's saw? Biased. She's biased. She's biased. I'm going to go ahead and say this before she puts through. a mic to her mouth. She's biased. And I don't know the answer to you're this You're just question. mad because you're not doing a farm animal. And so... Uh, it was really unfarm bureau of you to not have a oh, ag-themed Halloween costume. I know. Hey. Some people eat lion meat, okay? <laughs> okay. So oh, there we go. Dress up Brady as a lion. Brady is going to be a lion, and Britt and I are going to be some safari goers. That's our little family-themed costume, but it doesn't really line up with your Twilight It's boost. okay, though, because ag and Halloween have always been, you know, intertwined, So, which is pretty cool. But, um, no, they were all really good. They're probably... I am biased. My niece is a sheep, so and she's precious. That's very bad. cute. But the sheep <laughs> or a lamb? A lamb, Technically a lamb. Oh, my bad. Golly. Okay. Well, I thought but we had someone that okay. would know in this room. I just oh. literally said a lamb. She did. <laughs> but there was also, um, there's a Denison family from um, Calcasieu Parish who, they did the whole family was a farm animals and the farmer. And so theirs was, they went all out. So That's pretty they went. My sister needs to step it up. <laughs> <laughs> you heard that, Brittany. You heard it right here. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have Iron Man and a dinosaur. So uh, our, the, our closest to being uh, ag related was when Logan was born. His first Halloween, we dressed him up as a football so pig that skin. I could carry him. Yep, he was a pig skin. So. Well, what really matters is everybody's having candy. So we're supporting the sugarcane industry. There you so. go. There's exactly. sugar. I will do my part. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. I want to thank Brian Hendrickson, Allie Shipley, Carl Wiggers, and Avery Davidson. I'm Neil Malasson. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Bye. If you can, subscribe to us on your favorite place to get podcasts. Also, leave us a review wherever you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play, and let us know what you think about the show. Reviews are great, but sharing is how you show that you're caring. So bring (laughs) your mother in, bring your sister in, share this podcast with them, let them know that you enjoy listening to the Twilight After Show. And don't forget this podcast is produced by the Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation, the voice of Louisiana agriculture. 